Witches and Slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after its original air date. Today, it's a day early. Um, I work all weekend. I told you guys last week I was probably going to be recording a day early for Hush, and that's what I'm doing. I have a disclaimer, though. For those of y'all, I doubt anybody listens to this podcast for my angel reviews at the end, but um, just because of the way that it's just been a crazy ass week, guys, um, just the way that everything worked this week, um, I have not watched the Angel episode. I plan to, as a rule, watch every episode of Angel exactly 20 years later as well, but I did not do that this week. Um, I will probably watch it on the day, so I'll actually watch it on the 20 years later, but I haven't watched it yet. And I've done zero research and I don't even necessarily remember what the Angel episode is about. So what I'm going to do, since I usually talk about Angel last anyway, as soon as we talk about Hush and do our ratings and all that stuff, I will get out my Nikki Stafford episode guide on Angel and we'll talk about, and we'll read her description together. And I'll talk about anything I remember about that fucking episode, which I possibly haven't seen in years. So it's going to be very off the cuff. So first of all, I did a bunch of research today on Buffy. I read all my books, um, which they they had a lot to say about Hush, of course, since it's one of the universally renowned, like anybody that picks like top five episodes of Buffy, they're probably going to put Hush in that list. Um, So I did do some research, a little bit more research than usual. I don't always consult all of my Buffy books anymore, but um, I just realized I didn't actually look at the episode guide. So I'm going to pause real quick and go ahead and read that and I'll be back. I guess I can go ahead and read you um, Nikki Stafford's famous um, summation of the episode, which is always like one small sentence. So hers for Hush. Um, So this is one that's written and directed by Joss Whedon. Sunnydale is visited by the gentlemen who take the voices of everyone in town so they can torture them, but no one can scream. (laughs) Okay. Um, so I feel like I'm going to be discombobulated, so I might as well just like give you guys a little bit of an update. Um, I probably mentioned it when it happened. So if you've been listening to this, um, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, a Almost three years ago, I had to have a root canal and like there was a problem with the operation where like a little piece of like the rubber stent that they put in your tooth to stabilize it during a root canal got broken off inside my face. And it was one of those things where like, it's possible that it never, it would never bother me and we could just go ahead and finish the root canal and move on because he couldn't retrieve the piece. But... Um, you know, it's just one of those things that like, I mean, the doctor essentially told me like, it may bother you in six months. It may bother you in six years. It may never bother you. Um, and you know, it's been almost three years. I had the choice to go ahead and get the tooth taken out and get an implant instead, but I chose the easier at the time option, which was just to finish up the root canal and hope for the best. Well, this week I in the midst of an already like two people are on vacation at my library job. So I was working extra hours this week anyway, and like all kinds of 
craziness just it's just a busy week it's like christmas time there's christmas parties to go to there's gifts to think about there's this that and the other plus working extra hours at work you know all that stuff so it was already like a really stressful week and of course i was pmsing and i'm a person that like my hormones get really crazy so it was just a perfect storm of terrible events so anyway <laughs> i started noticing like I had some pain and a little bump next to where um, the root canal was, which is one of my front teeth. So kind of an important one, <laughs> like, um, which all stems back to an accident that I had in second grade where I decided to ride a, a skateboard on my stomach and I tipped forward onto the pavement of the sidewalk and I knocked one of my front teeth out and the other one was displaced. So I've actually already gone through the whole process of getting an implant on my other front tooth, the one that I actually did get fully knocked out. But this is my other front tooth that I'm dealing with now. I guess because it was like jostled so much during the accident that, I mean, it took like 20 years for that tooth to die because it was just three years ago that I had to get that root canal. And I didn't even know that it was like a possibility that there was something wrong with that one since that's not the one that got knocked out. But anyway, so I have an infection again, basically is all it is. Um, so I'm on antibiotics, which I just, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just hypersensitive to everything, but like any like pill of any kind that I've ever had to take, I feel like I'm the kind of person that I really only need to take a fourth of a dose of something or half of a dose of something because everything affects me so much. So anyway, I had to stay home from work yesterday. I had two jobs I was supposed to do yesterday and I had to stay home from work from both jobs um, because just like the antibiotics are just like knocking me on my ass. I'm, you know, trying to gather my strength because I work all weekend. Um, and there's a cr two Christmas parties I have to go to this weekend. And like, I don't know. Anyway, so that's just what's going on in my personal life. I'm dealing with an infection that ultimately means I am going to have to go ahead and take that tooth out. So anyway, so I had a little interruption there. Um, trying to remember what the fuck I was talking about. Uh, so yeah, it's just in the grand scheme of things, like getting an implant, like I've gone through the process before with my other front tooth, so I know what to expect. It's expensive. It's time consuming. Like basically there are several steps involved. I won't go into the details. Like if you're interested in all the fucking details of all of this shit, um, you can listen to my patron podcast my most recent episode like if you ever like for some reason want to hear like personal details of my life um where i reveal that is on my mixtress radio which is an online radio show every friday from 7 to 10 central daylight time and the details for that are always in the podcast description notes so you can get those there and if you can't listen at the time so the mixtures radio broadcasts are free every week but you do have to tune in at the right time but the um i always make podcast versions of my mixtures radio show there just isn't music because of copyright 
copyright reasons, but I make like podcasts. I edit together the talking segments of my radio show and make a podcast episode out of it for my patrons over on patreon.com slash Ray. And you get those podcast episodes with any level of giving, even if it's just a dollar a month, which I think is the lowest you can do on Patreon. I'm not sure, but Anyway, if you're interested in becoming one of my patrons, I would love to have you. Um, and it would be a great way to support me. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anyway, uh, what are we talking about? Um, so essentially it's a process that I've gone through before. It is expensive and time consuming, but I know what to expect and it's, um, it's a pro okay that's what I was saying sorry my brain is like like the combination of just being super stressed this week um and then I got really depressed like hearing the news that like I was gonna have to go ahead and get the implant anyway which I didn't want to have to do it I've just kind of like sunk into a depression the last couple of days like I'm coming to accept it because like I said in the grand scheme of things not that big a deal but I tend to make everything into a big deal um, so just like my brain chemistry is crazy right now, like hormones, depression, anxiety, <laughs> just being stressed in general because I've, um, you know, work has been nuts this week. Um, but yeah, anyway, it's just been a crazy week. So I'm not quite sure how quality this episode of Hush is going to be. Um, but Good news for you, if you are left wanting after listening to this episode, for my actual discussions of this episode, this is one of the most discussed episodes of Buffy ever in the history of the universe. Like, you can find any number of video essays on YouTube that are going to be way more articulate than what I'm going to say today on this particular episode of Buffy. So we're just along for the ride today of me just saying some random shit about an episode that I love from my favorite TV show of all time. And I'm just not going to put too much pressure on myself because um, I was kind of anticipating this episode. Like one of the reasons why I was recording a day early is because I knew um, that I wanted to give it the attention that it deserved. And I just, I was kind of putting some pressure on myself in general. And then after the craziness of this week, like I can't even, I can't even worry about it necessarily. <laughs> I've only watched the episode once too. Um, I watched it last night and I will watch it again on the day, the anniversary day, which will be tomorrow, Saturday, but, um, not gonna, I didn't watch it again in preparation to talk to you guys, which I usually do. So I'm sorry about that, but I did my research, read my Buffy books. Let's go ahead and get started. Okay. Let's get to my notes. Um, so yes, obviously one of the most respected episodes of Buffy because there are 29 minutes of silence in this episode, um, in a show that's typically about 42 minutes long. It's, um, pretty straightforward. The episode's pretty straightforward. Like it, it starts with a dream wherein Professor Walsh is expressing, is talking about non-verbal non forms of communication, basically <laughs> talking about how people fail to communicate with words alone. 
and um, she calls Buffy up to the in front of the class for a demonstration. She tells Riley to be a good boy, and then he kisses her in front of the entire class. There has been a lot of um, the main Buffy book that I read today, or the one that had the most content in it, is a book called Why Buffy Matters by Rhonda Wilcox. And she did an entire chapter talking about Hush. And she had some really interesting points that I'll be talking about throughout the episode. But um, one of the things that she said that I thought was interesting is um, Riley being a good boy. So obviously Buffy is having this dream where she hears Professor Walsh tell Riley to essentially tell Riley to kiss her in front of their entire class. So like an exhibitionist thing in front of her. And she tells him to be a good boy. So it says a couple of things. One, Buffy, even though she doesn't know that Riley is part of the initiative, she doesn't know that Professor Walsh runs the initiative. I think she'll find out like all of this shit in the next episode, possibly, but she doesn't know it yet. But she knows enough to know that Professor Walsh is an important figure to Riley. And so her subconscious is telling her that he sort of needs her approval for their relationship in some way. Her subconscious is also telling her that Riley is a good boy. And I think also the sort of like kissing in front of everyone thing, I think that there's a certain level of I don't think Rhonda Wilcox said this necessarily, but this is just something that I thought of when I was reading it. Um, there's a certain level of performance that their relationship has um, because Buffy really wants to convince herself that she doesn't need the bad boy. Like she's already said that, that like Riley is a different choice for her. Um, he's someone she's sort of convincing herself to fall in love with. You know, it's not um, a being swept up by passion sort of relationship. She is sort of like talking herself into liking him. Like she does like him, but she is going against her instincts of who she likes because she doesn't trust her instincts of who she's actually interested in right now. So the fact that it's kind of a performance, she's telling the world, I'm into this good boy now, guys. So there's just a lot to be said in this little dream sequence. And of course it ends with, uh, it turns into a prophetic dream because she dreams about the actual gentleman and she dreams like the little fairy tale thing of can't even shout, can't even cry. The gentlemen are coming by and the whole seven hearts and um, they need to take seven and they might take yours, you know, that whole thing. Um, she dreams that whole thing. And she remembers all of it, of course. Like, she's a good slayer. She remembers her prophetic dreams perfectly and is able to completely portray it to Giles. So that's nice. Um, she has this whole dream during class. And there's this cute little moment where everybody's, like, kind of kind of making fun of her. Riley and Willow are kind of making fun of her after class because she was sleeping through, like, the last 20 minutes of class. <laughs> and that's just a cute little moment. But... I mean, basically it's a pretty straightforward episode because in the very beginning we are set up with several different pairs of people and their ways of communicating with each other. So like, um, in the beginning of the episode, Olivia gets into town to see Giles and 
you know, she says like two sentences to him as soon as she walks into his house before she just wants to jump on his bones. Um, she's like, well, how was the flight? Oh, it was a, it was a horror. And he was like, oh, turbulent turbulence. And she's like, no baseball movie. Okay. That's enough small talk. <laughs> and then they make out. Um, and then later in the episode at the very end, whenever they have their voices back again, and they're kind of talking about the experience, um, it's just a very simple conversation. They have really great communication with each other, essentially through economy of words, um, where essentially, you know, I think just like the whole conversation is Giles asks Olivia, so would you say this is your best, um, best visit ever? And, and she's like, uh, scary. And there's a little bit more in between there, but at, at one point she kind of just says, she says something like, so everything that you've told me about like monsters and all this stuff, that's all real. And Giles is like, yeah. And she says, scary. And he says, too scary. And she says, I don't know. So I think this is the last, it's not the last time we see Olivia period because we see her in a dream sequence at the end of the season and restless, but I don't think we ever see her in person again. I think this is the end of their relationship together, which is sad, which means we only see Olivia three episodes because we, we were introduced to her back, um, in the beginning of the season. And then we see her now. And then, um, we see her in that last episode of the season. And I think that's it. But, um, so just setting up the different communications that are, um, emphasized in this episode. So Riley and Buffy, they babble a lot. They talk to each other. They've been on a, a couple of dates at this point, I guess we can probably assume. And they just babble a lot because both of them are covering for the fact that they don't like lying to each other because she's a slayer and she can't tell him and he's in the initiative and he can't tell her. So they're both kind of, because of that, not being able to say that, and they're both essentially upfront people for the most part, they haven't gotten to the point of actually having their first kiss because they just get really nervous and babble and they can't actually say what they want to say because they want to be upfront with each other, but they can't. So their communication is really bad. Um, and then Anya at the beginning of the episode is complaining to Xander. She doesn't think that he cares about her and, you know, and he is just being awful. Like Joss comes back and writes an episode and Xander is awful again. Like we have had Xander on pretty good behavior for almost the entire season. But he says to Anya something like, because she's expressing the fact that she doesn't feel like he cares about her. He says, well, you really are turning into a real girl, aren't you? Or something like that. And it's like, oh shit, Xander, shut the fuck up. So one thing I had to look up, um, because I never really thought of Olivia. I'm extremely sensitive to like age differences of like a guy being way older. And, um, so, but it never really seemed like there was an inappropriate age difference between Olivia and Giles. Although you can definitely tell that, um, Olivia is younger than Giles. I need to like say her actual name, Fina Orush. That might not be the way that you say her name, but it's P-H-I-N-A is her first name, Fina. And then, um, 
and Denise Stewart Head. So I looked them up like both of their birthdays to see what their age difference is. And he's 15 years older than her. So at the time she was 30 and he's 45. So not, I mean, when you're, when you're starting to be like 30 and 45, doesn't seem like a huge difference. Of course, like if she was 15 and he was 30, that would be a huge difference. Like it for some reason doesn't bother me that much because they don't present her as they present her only as being his equal. Like she, we don't actually know anything about her except that she knows him from home. So we can assume that like they've known each other for a while because he's been in Sunnydale for at least four years now. So, you know, if they know each other well enough that they like sleep together as soon as she comes to visit, then obviously they've known each other I mean, in my mind, that means they've known each other at least 10 years, which becomes gross because then she would have been 20 and he was 35. Anyway, whatever. The age difference thing bothers me, but for some reason with Olivia and Giles, I just think she's so cute and I think he's so cute and I forgive them. So I have a bias there, but he's 15 years older than her because Anthony Stewart Head was born in 1954 and Olivia was born in 1969. I think she's supposed to be kind of playing someone slightly older, though. I mean, to me, she reads, not because of the way she looks, but just maturity level, she reads more like 35 to me. Um, um, so let's see, okay, R Riley and Buffy babble too much, Anya doesn't think Xander cares. Um, Willow is shown in her Wicca group and she's not communicating well with her Wicca group because they just want to talk about bake sales and, you know, Gaia newsletters and she wants to like actually do some spells and it doesn't seem like anyone in her Wicca group actually does spells. And then we see the miscommunication of Tara just with the world because she doesn't feel confident enough to even speak up, which, hey, let's acknowledge it. This is the first time we're seeing Tara. Like I didn't realize, I think I said this last week, but like I, for some reason, remembered seeing her in the Wicca group in a couple of scenes before she actually interacts with, before this episode, at least, but that's not the case. Um, they don't interact until this episode. We don't even see Tara until this episode. So, spoiler alert, MVP of the episode is Tara, because this is the first time we're seeing her, and... Her cute little zigzag part in her dark sheer shirt and like her cute little skirts like they already knew like kind of her style story from the very beginning like she was gonna be like kind of gothic shy witch hippie you know I just I love her style I just I think she's one of the very coolest characters like if I was going to choose a character to be in Buffy, I would probably want to be Tara. Um, even though I'm not really attracted to Willow, but, um, I probably am a lot like Willow, but, um, Tara is just the coolest. I like her so much. Anyway, so yeah, straightforward episode it establishes all these miscommunications that people are having with their words and then we see how their communication style evolves or doesn't when they can no longer speak to each other. So in the case of Olivia and Giles, their relationship 
seems relatively unchanged. Like, obviously, Olivia's scared because of what's going on, and she, like, feels weird about being in, you know, she's in a town where she doesn't live that she was only expecting to st to stay for, like, a few days or something, probably, and suddenly she's trapped there, and she, you can tell that she's very scared, but despite that, her communication with Giles doesn't seem to be that altered, because most of their communication is through sex anyway, or as Anya calls her, an orgasm friend, um, and then... With Anya and Xander, their communication improves because essentially, I mean, it's just such a stupid little masculine thing. Like, I don't think they did a great job with that because the episode begins with Anya complaining to Xander that she doesn't think he cares about her. And then when they're, um, when they don't have their voices, there's like a little misunderstanding moment where Xander walks in and he thinks that that Spike is feeding on Anya because he's drinking from a mug and she's laying on a couch and it just like looks wrong for a second and he freaks out and runs across the room and starts like attacking Spike and Anya is super impressed by that and she that display was all that she needed apparently to see that he cared which I call bullshit on that because that's just performative masculinity isn't it? I mean, like, yeah, he was swooping in to help her, but he would have done that with anyone. So that doesn't really make her special, but that was enough for her. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I just don't like that writing. I don't like it. I don't like any of the Xander stuff. As soon as Joss Whedon writes for Xander directly, I don't like Xander anymore. Like, that's just seems to be how it is unfortunately. Um, then how does the communication style change between Riley and Buffy? Like at first they just, they're so happy to see each other and they kiss immediately. As soon as they see each other, when neither of them has a voice, it's almost like they're relieved they can't talk and they kiss. And, but their communication in the end of the episode is kind of terrible. Their very first fight together because they are both pursuing the gentleman and they defeat them together, essentially, although he doesn't do much. Um, which, and it's a very long drawn out fight scene where it's just like, it's very disorganized and maybe it was supposed to be because I don't think the communication between Riley and Buffy really improved in this episode. Yes, they finally kissed, but that's it. Like they don't fight well together. Um, he didn't understand what she was saying when she was trying to pantomime to him in, and that wouldn't be a huge deal. That was a funny moment, but that wouldn't be such a huge deal if we didn't see the complete contrast of that whenever Willow and Tara, you know, locked hands and sent that drink machine across the room. They just like looked into each other's eyes and knew immediately what needed to be done and did it. Their communication is flawless from the moment that they met essentially whereas Riley and Buffy are just they're showing us from the very beginning how mismatched they are you know even though they both fight evil and and have a secret identity you would think that they would have more in common than the average two people but they just aren't in sync even even when their communication has to adapt 
in this um, episode, which improves the communication between almost every other character in the episode. It doesn't improve it for them. And um, I think that's pretty telling. Um, interesting thing pointed out in one of the books I read, who knows which one, um, the communication style between the two like authority figures in the show. So when Professor Walsh has to talk to the initiative and let them know what she expects them to do and all that shit, she is typing on a commute communicator a computer she's typing on a computer that is speaking in it's the exact voice from the radio head fitter happier you know more productive whatever that computer voice is it's that exact same computer voice i mean it is it is <laughs> um so she's using a computer as her voice while jowls is using like classical music played on a boombox on a cassette <laughs> and um, transparencies <laughs> on a projector. That's how he's communicating what's going on, how he has his typical exposition scene where he's telling them what's going on, um, which is cute. And so it's just interesting to pit them up against each other. Like she uses technology, whereas he, you know, goes more old school with it. Okay, let's go back to my notes. So it's kind of all over the place. Since I wasn't taking notes as I was watching it, I was just sort of taking notes while I was reading books about it and what I remember from the episode, blah, blah, blah. So um, I guess all we've really talked about so far, we've jumped around, but just Buffy's dream. My next note is SMG and Allison. Great at mouthing words. Like, that's pretty spectacular like the moment that they notice that they don't have voices it's just Buffy and Willow talking to each other in the dorm room and everything that they're say trying to say out loud in the very beginning you can tell exactly what they're trying to say and it's like I can hear their voices in my head you know um, so they just did a great job with that um, and the score when it first like kind of like that's almost like the best scene of the episode when they're realizing that they can't speak and the score, at first everything is completely quiet and then the score kind of just starts in and it's really beautiful in the beginning. It doesn't, I mean, it's beautiful throughout the episode, but it doesn't stay at that level of just, it gave me goosebumps, you know, when it first starts and then Xander picks up the phone to call Buffy and she answers and there's that little moment like, uh, of course we can't communicate on the phone. What are we doing? <laughs> and then Spike flips Xander off when he accuses him of causing this whole thing. And you really can't tell in that scene between Xander and Spike, whenever they're like yelling at each other at that same moment, realizing that they can't speak. I can't fucking tell what Xander's trying to say. But I can easily read Allison Hannigan and Sarah Michelle Gellar's um, lips whenever they're talking. They're so much better actors than poor little Nikki Brendan, but it's true. Um, let's see. Na, na, na. I, I noted, just I thought it was kind of cute, the different ways that they chose to communicate throughout the episode. And it's kind of brilliant, of course. Um, so Walsh has her little computer voice. Giles has his transparencies. Um, there's that guy on the street selling $10 dry erase boards, which is so, it's a little moment of like reality punched into your brain, you know? Um, like this was pre 9-11, of course, because this was 1999. But 
um, that was exactly how it was after, um, you know, in 2001. I mean, if you were around then, you can remember how people capitalized on the whole um, American flag thing. Like people were selling American flag stickers and stuff to put in your car. It was just like everybody became really, um, what's the word when you like have pride in your nation, like nationalist. Um, I don't know. People just became very, oh, patriotic, I guess is the way to say it. People just became very patriotic. Like people that would never be patriotic. Like my mom was putting American flag. Like I remember in the newspaper, they would send out, they were sending out like in the newspaper, like one of the pages was just a full American flag. So you could cut it out and like put it up in your window or something in your house. And it just like that, the capitalist aspect. I mean, of course, giving it out in your newspaper is not that much, it's not that capitalist, but just like how people were running around, like selling American flags left and right, because everybody was just feeling so helpless that they would buy that just to feel like they were showing some support and, um, people that were never patriotic, you know, they were just feeling so sad because of those events that they, you know, anyway, it, this just reminded me of that, that like guy on the side of the road selling those little mini dry erase boards for $10 and both Willow and Buffy just like rolled their eyes. But of course they bought them. Kind of weird to think about, like, you don't necessarily think about, about it while you're watching the episode or I didn't, but isn't it kind of weird that Buffy wouldn't go check on her mom? I mean, I know it's just because Christine Sutherland is like out of the country during most of this year, which is why she's not in very many episodes in the entire season. But, um, you know, in real life, you still live in the same town as your mother, who also doesn't have a voice. You would go and comfort her. You would have to go and comfort her because you couldn't call her on the phone. And I don't think Joyce uses email yet in 1999. I don't even know if Buffy uses email yet in 1999. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, oh yeah, I wrote obscene gestures throughout, like this episode got away with so many, like the little motion that Buffy does whenever she's during the transparency thing that looks like a jack off motion, but really she's trying to mime having a steak in her hand. Um, it, the like, the like finger inside <laughs> the circle. <laughs> thing that Anya does whenever she wants to have sex with Xander immediately after he displays um, basic human caring for her when he thought that Spike was biting her. You know, they get away with a lot in this episode. And it's funny, of course, but um, it's just, it's just an enjoyable episode though overall. And, you know, lots of people have said very intellectual things about this episode, but Anyway, I'll try to say some intellectual things. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a lot of a voice today. Um, so the scariest moment in the whole episode for me, and I don't actually find the gentleman that scary. I know a lot of people really do, but I find them kind of comforting simply because they're quiet. They glide. They sort of have a dancer movement to them. Um, and, you know, the fact that they're like, skeletal figures. I just, I don't know. I find them kind of beautiful. 
more than scary, but I mean, I get why they're scary. I do, but I don't actually feel scared watching it. Um, but the scariest moment was when Olivia like wakes up in the middle of the night during like the second night that they all don't have their voices and she like looks out the window and she's just kind of scared and she's looking around and she thinks she sees one of, she sees one of them from like across the street or something. And as she's kind of like peering to look at the one from like across the street, like one passes by the window right in front of her very suddenly and looks straight at her. And that's the scariest moment of the whole, whole episode. So after she has that little confrontation, she draws like a really beautiful, intricate drawing of the gentleman figure and shows it to Giles. And that's when he makes the connection between Buffy's prophetic dream and fairy tales. So this episode is basically written as a fairy tale, you know, like Joss Whedon has said many times in interviews that he was trying to create, he was trying to create a figure that would genuinely scare kids <laughs> that he wanted like a truly horrific fairy tale. Like he wanted to create a fairy tale horror monster that people would remember. So he succeeded in that because every, because there are a lot of people that grew up watching Buffy that are, were genuinely terrified as children watching this episode that still are. That is definitely a thing. <laughs> I have heard about that. Um, so that's when he like, once Olivia shows him that drawing, he goes to his books and instead of pulling out like a monster book or a demon encyclopedia or something, he pulls out a book of fairy tales. And that's when he creates his little transparency and he plays dance, dance macabre, I think is what it is. And, um, that's when he just, you know, lets them all know this is a fucking fairy tale guys. We need to get our voices back so the princess can can scream and everybody just automatically assumes that Buffy's going to be that princess, including her. And that is the only thing that will defeat them. So, um, let's see. Princess screamed once. B and R kissing in front of... Oh, my mom... <laughs> my mom uh, mentioned, like, whenever... Buffy and Riley kiss for the first time. It's when they like see each other on the street. Um, when they're both kind of patrolling, you know, looking out for people and they see each other on the street and they kiss right in front of like a trash can that's on fire. And my mom was like, Oh, there's already trash cans on fire in the streets. Like the universal symbol of apocalypse <laughs> right there. <laughs> oh, um, I had forgotten gotten about this, but it was mentioned in the Why Buffy Matters book by Rhonda Wilcox, um, that the scene of Buffy and Riley kissing in the dream before they really kiss in real life, being in, in front of Professor Walsh and in front of the entire class was actually, this is not how she phrased it, but was actually kind of also a prophetic dream because the first time that Buffy and Riley have sex, which I don't know, it's a few episodes from now. So it's, we're not going to be talking about that until next year, but the first time they have sex, we see professor Walsh has a monitor in Riley's bedroom. So she is essentially watching them have sex the first time they have sex. So I don't know if they knew, if the writers knew that at this point, but that whole, I mean, it would make the dream sequence a little bit more meaningful um, if 
they already knew that they were going to do that. Um, cause that's, that's creepy. That is creepy. I never really thought about it that literally before. Like I remember that she had like a camera in their bedroom and she was like seeing them like kissing or something, but it just didn't, I didn't, my brain didn't take it to that next level that like she was watching them have sex, you know? Um, I just thought, oh shit, she's surveilling him all the time. That's not okay. But I didn't actually think about scenarios that she might've actually seen. I didn't really take it that step of like, I knew she was violating his privacy, but I didn't realize just how fucking creepy that was. So we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, fortune favors the brave. Um, so not only is Tara the MVP of the episode, just because I'm so fucking happy to see her and I'm so glad she's here finally. Um, I love her so much. I probably would have given it to her anyway, but she's also the MVP of the episode because she takes charge, even though she's a very shy person. She you know, her way of dealing with this whole thing is she looks up spells on how to give people back their speech. And she looks up Willow where her dorm is. So you see like that she has researched spells to give people back their speech and that she's like highlighted where Willow's dorm room is. And then she goes like, despite the fact that it's, it's at night and she's very vulnerable, she risks her life to go find Willow to try to do a spell to help people regain their voice. So she knows just from being in Wicca group with Willow that Willow is different and she actually wants to do spells and she might actually have some power. Um, so she's smart enough to pick up on those little cues and she's willing to put herself in danger and she's smart enough to do the research and figure out you know, a way to help. Like she doesn't know all that like Giles and the rest of them know at this point. Um, she doesn't know that the spells that she wanted to do might not have helped in this scenario, but she's taking charge and she's being proactive and she's risking her life, um, to go find Willow and get some shit done. So that's also why she gets the MVP of the episode. And of course that moment of them like locking hands and, um, moving that same drink machine that was in the high school, the one that says cold drinks, <laughs> um, it's still there guys. Um, so that moment is iconic, of course. Um, I think I've, I've said everything that's in my notes, guys. <laughs> I've said it all already. Um, oh wait, here's one note I didn't say. Um, just in case you're interested in that kind of thing. Um, this is the only episode that has ever been nominated for an Emmy for writing. I guess they got nominated for Emmys for other things at different points, but this is the only one that was, um, for its writing, which is funny because, you know, it's the episode with 29 minutes of silence, <laughs> but, um, it is a very good episode. Let's go ahead and get into the ratings, I guess. Um, it should be noted that... You know, we've only ever seen Giles's minty mug in the singular, but in this episode, we see him at one point carrying two minty mugs full of tea or coffee or whatever to like a room down the hall or something. I mean, his bedroom is up in the loft, so I don't know where the fuck he was going. But anyway, 
he was taking them down the hall, presumably to, one for Olivia and one for him. So he apparently shares his minty mugs with his orgasm friends. <laughs> so there was not one, but two minty mugs in this episode. I, I hope we just continue seeing that minty mug throughout the whole series. I feel like there's a point where we don't see it anymore and I am going to mourn that day. But for now we see his minty mug in almost every episode and it makes me incredibly happy. <laughs> so object of the episode, um, I'm not going to, even though we did see a very brief sighting of Tara's room, which that's definitely going to be an object of the episode. Her entire fucking room I'm going to choose as an object of the episode at some point, but I'm going to wait until we see it more clearly because in this episode, all we saw was like the shot of her like walking out her door. So you see that her room is painted black. You see that she has some white Christmas lights, but you don't see the full scope of how amazing Tara's room is. It makes me so happy. It is just the perfect ambiance. Um, it's the perfect little witch goth girl cave and I love it. So I'm not picking that yet, even though this is our first sighting of it because it's not a full sighting. I've decided and it's possible I've picked this before, but I've decided that my object of the episode is that cold drinks vending machine. <laughs> if I were the kind of rich person that had like um, a game room in my basement or something, I would want a vending machine that said that was just as simple and retro as that vending machine that just said cold drinks and had a few different options. No branding whatsoever. So I've possibly chosen this before since that was the same vending machine they had in the high school. So I might've chosen it before, but it, Either way, I don't remember, so I'm choosing that as the object of the episode. MVP, like I said, is Tara. She gets three exclamation points in my notes. Outfit of the episode is also going to Tara, um, and I can't even necessarily describe, but it's, I don't actually know if we saw, like if she was wearing a skirt or pants or what, but when we were first introduced to her, when she's in the Wicca group and she has the iconic zigzag part. She has like a sheer black layered top situation going on and you can just tell she's a shy little witchy goth girl and I'm here for it 100% all the way, like I've said many other times in this episode. So she gets the outfit. Um, Willow is, she, she dressed in kind of butch in this episode. Like they're like ready to sort of like inception the idea in our heads that maybe Willow's a lesbian now. They're ready because they put her in a freaking like olive green army skirt with a belt and it was just a very dyke outfit to me <laughs> in a good way, of course, but She's definitely the more masculine one with her and Tara. So um, I think they're kind of leaning into that with her style choices. They're going to kind of, she's still going to have that like cutesy willow thing going on, but they're going to like sprinkle in a little bit of butch um, now that they're like leaning her towards having a relationship with a woman. 
I, I think, like, I am, I'm pretty sensitive to style choices, which is why I even have an outfit of the episode as one of my, um, one of my ratings. Quote of the episode, I actually don't have one written down because, you know, most of this episode is silent. Um, I mean, I guess we can just say fortune favors the brave is the quote, because sure, why not? Five by five ratings treatment of women in this episode we're gonna have to pay special attention to that since joss wrote and directed this episode um xander's an asshole in this episode um giles treats olivia fine oh i didn't mention the cutest moment in the episode is probably when buffy and willow first go see giles after they've lost their voices so it's still the morning of when they've lost their voices and when they first show up with their little dry erase boards that they spent $10 on, <laughs> um, you know, as soon as Buffy shows up, Giles sort of just like reaches out and like squeezes her shoulder and this like super dad, I love you. I'm so glad you're here. We'll get through this together. Just like he says it all with his eyes and it's just a, such a sweet little moment. And then Willow just like, writes on her little board hi Giles and he just comes up and like puts his arm around her and it's just sweet dad moments it just gave me goosebumps I had goosebumps a couple of different times through through this episode when the score first started and then that little moment of just it it's sweet to see that whenever you know because this is one of the reasons why this is a good episode it's not just because they were able to communicate an episode without dialogue which is a huge feat but it's just because you get to see how communication changes when you don't have dialogue so you got to see the little squeeze of the shoulder and putting his arm around her just to say hi you know he just thought it was sweet that she wrote hi Giles on her little board you know um that was just such a sweet moment I just had to <laughs> oh and the funniest moment of the episode that I didn't even mention is when <clears throat> Giles is doing his whole transparency thing and Anya and Xander and Buffy and Willow are all there. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice. Um, Anya's just sitting there, super amused, eating popcorn the entire time. <laughs> and it's just amazing. Um, okay, so treatment of women. Let's get back to that. Um, Xander treats Anya like shit in this episode. Riley treats Buffy fine. Um, Professor Walsh is art. She's starting to be painted as a little bit creepy already. But they're not really treating her disrespectfully. She's just sort of showing, she's already showing her colors. Like she's, she was kind of rude to um, Riley and uh, Forrest whenever they almost got like gas chambered because they couldn't do their vocal recognition, which is a little extreme. Like what if somebody had laryngitis or something and they actually couldn't speak and they couldn't provide their, I mean, their retinal scan went through, you know, somebody would have to be like holding up their eyeball to pass that scan, but she was just like dismissive of them, like pointing to the little sign that said in case of emergency use stairs. <laughs> I don't know. It sucks that I just don't like her. She just, she bothers me because she has like the same hair as Riley, which is bad hair. It's bad hair. 
I feel like, I feel like that in and of itself, like we finally get a female authority figure on this show and she's evil and she's, she has no ethics. She's a evil bitch monster of death. Like she could have been, I don't know. They could have done better with that character. Even if they were going to make her a big bad, they could have done better. It could have been more of a blow to us once we find out she actually is evil because we could have liked her, but I don't know if we ever really got the chance to like her. So that in and of itself takes off major points. The fact that, um, Xander was super mean to Anya. Like, I don't even know if this episode passes the Bechtel test. I mean, obviously it doesn't have much dialogue. However, like the only conversation, I guess it does pass because Buffy and Willow talk about the fact that Willow, that Buffy was sleeping through the last 20 minutes of class at the very beginning of the episode. It, it eventually turns to talking about Riley. They have a couple of conversations in the episode and like mostly they're talking about Riley and the fact that they haven't kissed yet. But Willow and Buffy do talk about her Wicca group not being very witchy also in that conversation. So it's not just about Riley. So yeah, it does pass the Bechtel test, I guess. Um, but I just don't think, I think there are glaringly obvious moments of patriarchy in this episode and not in the way that, because I was reading in the Why Buffy Matters book by Rhonda Wilcox, they were talking about um, referencing like the commentary on the DVD, which I watched at some point in my life, but not recently, but they kept referencing it. So Joss Whedon in his commentary for Hush on the DVD is talking about how basically he saw the gentleman as being a symbol of patriarchy. And I just don't know if that came through the way that he wanted it to. You know, like sometimes he's so over the top with his, his demonstrations of, look, I'm a feminist, I'm a feminist, that it just like, it's so obvious that you know that he's really not, you know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. So what is my rating for treatment of women in this episode? I've been talking about it for like 10 minutes. Um, Oh, I'm not going to give it a middle of the road because I think it was a little yucky. So I'm going to give it a two. Nah, I'll give it a three. I'll give it a three. I really should give things a four when I think they're perfectly fine instead of giving them a three when I think they're perfectly fine because it wasn't like bad. So it's not a two, but it wasn't great either. So yeah, three. And then like enjoyability of the episode is extremely enjoyable. Like with the exception of like the fight scenes at the end, they just kind of threw in the regular fight music at the end whenever Buffy and Riley were fighting the gentleman and the straight jacket dudes. And it just really felt out of place to me. It felt really jarring because overall the episode to me is kind of calming because the score is calming and there's no dialogue and the gentlemen are just gliding around and it just like has this calm like ASMR feeling to me even though I know that's not the way most people interpret this episode. Most people are genuinely scared when they watch this episode. But to me I find it a calming episode up until that point whenever it's just like the same fight 
sounds as normal. Except, of course, you don't hear Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller grunting because she has no voice. And that just really, and I felt like that scene went on way too long. It was too jarring. Um, so that's really the only unenjoyable part of the episode for me. So I'm not going to give it a perfect score. I'm going to give it a four. So. 412. This episode gets a 12, which makes it seem like it's not that good. My rating system is extremely imperfect. So no one pays attention to it anyway. So who cares? Okay. Let's talk about Angel for like a second. So Angel is a show that exists. <laughs> okay. Thanks guys. See you next week. Um, no, I'm going to look at the Nikki Stafford episode guide and we're just going to kind of read it together. We're just going to go off the cuff on this one. So previously on Angel, um, Doyle died and he passed his visions to Cordelia in a kiss right before he heroically killed himself. So the episode that aired 20 years ago, December 14th, is called Parting Gifts. So here's the summation of the episode. Cordelia discovers that Doyle left her a parting gift. And when a new rogue demon hunter comes to LA, which is parting gift and rogue demon hunter in quotes, parting gift being the visions that Doyle had, um, and rogue demon hunter being Wesley, I think, comes to LA, the angel investigations, which is funny that that's in quotes, because I think he calls himself a rogue demon hunter. And you're like, Wesley, shut up. You're not there yet. Okay. Angel Investigations duo is reunited with an old acquaintance. So yes, it is Wesley. So this is actually a good episode, um, probably from what I remember, because Wesley comes back and it's nice to see a familiar face, honestly, on Angel. So let's see. With parting gifts, the arc of the series really gets started. Cordelia has inherited Doyle's visions and immediately discovers the physical pain they cause and how dangerous such a gift can be with when the wrong people find out about it. The scene of the demon auction is eerie and frightening, but luckily a rogue demon hunter comes to the rescue. Yes, folks, Wesley Wyndham Price is back in all his bumbling, stuttering goodness. Although he only lasted nine episodes on Buffy before being clotheslined in the first seconds of the graduation day battle, Wesley left an impression on the fans and the writers, and he has been given a second life on Angel. Like Cordelia, Wesley was a comic foil on Buffy, but on Buffy's more serious spinoff, both Wesley and Cordelia have a chance to shine in a way they never could on their parent show. Also should be noted, thank God they dealt with the whole, like, Wesley and Cordelia, like, were super attracted to each other when they first met in Buffy, and then they kissed and realized that it was awful. So luckily all of that shit is in the past. We don't have to deal with any of that on Angel. Thank God. Um, Wesley is a comic character for most of this season, although he will eventually become one of the series' darkest and most complex characters. We get a glimpse of who he will become when he talks about himself as a failure in this episode, mentioning how he lost two slayers and now can't do his new job adequately. Adding Alexis Denisoff to the show is a stroke of genius, and he's able to inject new life into Angel just as fans were wondering where the writers were taking it. Of course, both Cordy and the fans are still in mourning for Doyle and aren't quite ready to accept Wesley as his replacement just yet. The producers cleverly cle cle ugh, kept Glenn Quinn in the opening credits and didn't yet add Denisoff permanently so as to maintain the suspense that they might be bring back Quinn after all. But Angel's discussion with the oracles in the opening scene puts an end to any hope that this might happen, and with parting gifts, it's time to move on without Doyle to the next arc of the series. So 
I'm kind of sad I didn't watch it now, but I did want this episode from the beginning to be much more about Hush. So, hey, that's what we've done. <laughs> I will, if I have anything that I feel like really needs to be discussed about this episode of Angel, I'll talk about it. Um, maybe I'll have a special Angel-only episode where I talk about this particular, because we've got time. I actually, let's get out my calendar. Since we're at the end of the episode, I should tell you guys when I get to come back and talk to you again. We don't have a new Buffy episode to talk about again until... January 18th. So that is one, two, three, four, five weeks from now. So I may come back to talk about that episode of Angel more in depth. I may come back to just talk about something else in the meantime, or you might not see me again for another five weeks. Who knows? I never know. Um, but if you do listen, um, when these episodes come out, if you're listening in real time, end of 2019 right now, um, hey, we made it, guys. We made it. Not only to the end of 2019, but to the end of a decade, we made it. <laughs> I mean, almost. We got a couple more weeks. But, um, it's a weird time. Like, I was in a pretty good place before this whole situation with my tooth happened, and now I'm cranky. But, um, yeah. It's, it's been an interesting year. Basically, I've spent the whole year... I mean, I've been talking to you guys. I've been doing this podcast. I've been doing my YouTube channel. And I've been doing my radio show. And um, But I also learned tarot this year. Like, it became my obsession at the very beginning of the year. And I just dove head first. And I feel like I really... Like, there's so much to learn about tarot. So, like, I still have a lot to learn. But I've really... Um, I've really wrapped my head around it in a lot of ways. I have acquired many tarot decks, many tarot books, and um, yeah, I, I feel really good about it. I, and I have um, I have an Etsy shop up now where I do tarot readings. The information is always in the description notes of the podcast episodes too, if you're ever interested. Um, I really enjoy doing it, and um, yeah, so pretty much my life this year has been about tarot. <laughs> um, but also about the Buffy podcast and about my YouTube channel. I have like many different creative outlets and I really enjoy all of them and hopefully they will continue to grow. And, um, I also thank you guys for any feedback that you send me. I got the sweetest email. I don't know if I had already gotten it and already mentioned it. I can't remember. But, um, there is a listener who, um, is named Will. So shout out to Will. He sent me the sweetest email. Um, I'm not going to read it because it was a little bit personal. So I don't know if he would want me to read it on the podcast. And he's, um, I think he was saying he's in, he's listening to season two right now. So it might be a while before he even hears this, but hi, Will. Um, so glad to hear your, to see your email. And he, he kind of made me cry a little bit because he essentially said that he's been going through some hard times this year and he kind of talked about that and that's the personal stuff that I'm not going to I'm not going to tell you guys without his permission of course but he said that he's just kind of been depressed this year and um so he's been listening to my podcast um while he does his job I think he said he was like a janitor or something like that um 
Oh, my Michael just brought me a latte. <laughs> um, so he, he just essentially said that like listening to my podcast has really helped him through a hard time. And that, I mean, it's the kind of thing that like I've, I've heard, I've heard that kind of story from, from other like creators, but like no one has ever told me that I helped them through something. It's going to make me cry right now. Um, and I'm not a person that's easy to cry. I am this week, but, <laughs> um, it was just, it was really sweet. So thank you for that email. Well, it, it seriously like made my month to know that like, you know, all I'm doing, all I'm doing, okay, I'm going to get sentimental right now, apparently at the end of this podcast, because this is probably the last time I'm going to talk to you guys this year, unless I decide to come back for like a I mean, I could come back in two weeks and talk to you guys about other stuff or something, but in case I don't, if this is the last time I talk to you guys in 2019, let's go ahead and get sentimental for a second because I really love you guys. Um, you know, all I'm doing is I'm sitting in my closet, essentially, where I have my desk. So it's my, it's a kind of an oversized closet, but that's where I record for you guys. I'm essentially just sitting in my closet, talking about my favorite TV show of all time, and it does more for me than it could probably do for you. But the fact that, you know, because talking through this shit helps me through my life. You know, it's one of the reasons why I have a radio show. It's the reason why I do tarot readings, because talking through shit, through other people's shit, helps me deal with shit. You know, um, like I've, I've said before, especially especially on my radio show, I say this a lot. You guys are my therapists, but you guys are my therapists too. Like, even though I don't talk about personal shit that often on this podcast, um, being able to have this outlet of talking to people is extremely helpful to me because in person, um, I'm autistic and I, I mean, all the time I'm autistic, not just in person, I'm autistic, but I, I don't talk very much to people in person. I, I, I just can't, you know, like I can't express, like if I were to talk about my favorite episode of Buffy to someone in person, I would be saying like two sentences and then laughing and running away. You know, I'm very Tara in that way. But in this outlet, when I'm sitting with a recorder by myself and I don't have that pressure of like another human being is paying attention to me right now, even though people are listening right now, but, um, I don't see it the same because they don't, I'm not confronted with their eyeballs looking into my eyeballs right now, which is, you know, a very common thing for autistic people to, to freak out whenever they have to make eye contact with someone. And I'm definitely, I have that aspect of autism for sure. Anyway, I think I've just crossed over you guys. Like I have just been so down all week and just like, the pain of the infection, the tooth infection, and just worrying about all of that stuff. And I've just gotten really down and I think I just crossed over. I think I'm starting to feel better. <laughs> I mean, maybe the antibiotics are doing what they're supposed to be doing finally and I'm starting to feel better, but I feel like I just crossed over. And um, <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> Uh, I'm not on drugs right now, guys, I swear. Well, I am because I'm on amoxicillin, but that's it. Um, anyway, you guys are very important to me. Being able to like do this podcast is 
means the world to me. And anytime I get feedback from you guys, which I know is difficult because the only way that I like give you to give me feedback is through email and people don't really use email for communication anymore. Speaking of communication, we've been talking about that this whole episode. Um, and it just completely like someone taking the time to compose an email to send to me is just the most wonderful thing ever. And if I could help one person, you know, that, um, Ani DeFranco lyric, hold on, let me get it right. I'm not going to get it right. It's not, it's not in my brain perfectly, but she just essentially says something like, if, if another woman somewhere hears my music and it helps her through her day, you know, like that's the whole reason that she does this. And, um, it reminds me of that. Like if I can help one person like be distracted from their shit by listening to my inane ramblings for, you know, an hour, then I've done my job right there. Like that is the reason that I'm doing this to sort through my thoughts and be able to feel like I'm being heard. That's the selfish part of it. But also like if I'm providing some sort of companionship to someone else right now, like you're important, you are important. Thank you for listening. You guys are the best. <laughs> and I really, I wouldn't be able to, I mean, even though this podcast is free and it will always be free. I still would not be able to do this without you. If there weren't people listening, I just wouldn't be able to justify it to myself. You know, if I was recording this podcast and uploading it and, you know, paying the yearly fee to SoundCloud, which is like $140 or something, if I was doing that and I didn't have anyone listening, like, I, I wouldn't be able to justify it to myself and it would be very sad for me to have to stop doing this. Um, but you all are listening and it, it still amazes me, honestly, that like a person like me with really disorganized off the cuff, like lo-fi, um, free association talking. Like, I didn't even know I was going to do this little moment, this little gratitude moment. I didn't even know I was going to do that. I didn't plan it at all. I don't plan anything. It's just like, whatever fucking comes out of my mouth comes out of my mouth. Uh, you know, I try to take notes. I try to like put a little bit of structure in my brain, but at the end of the day, just whatever fucking comes out is what comes out. And the fact that I can do that, a thing that's made me feel weird my entire life, because I can't really structure things. I'm not a storyteller. I don't put things in the right order. Remember when you were a kid and you had those like tests of reading comprehension where you'd like read a story and then you would have to put the events from the story that you just read in order. Never ever did I get those right. I cannot put stories in order. Like I could probably never be a fiction writer because <laughs> I plot is not something that I grasp very well. But, you know, the whole free association thing, this is just, this is how I sort through things. Um, and yeah, anyway, anyway, the fact that you guys are listening is incredibly invaluable to me. It's, it's about you. You are so important. You're making a, a fellow weirdo in your life. Cause I assume anyone that like 
can understand the shit that comes out of my mouth is also a weirdo. <laughs> and I mean that in the best possible way. Because, like, people that aren't weirdos, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't want to be dismissive of anyone, because everyone has their space. But, like, people that, like, I would call a normie or a neurotypical person, like, I don't get those people. It doesn't mean that they're not okay. Like, they're perfectly valid. The world is made for them. But those of us neurodivergent folks, which is just a fancy word for, like, being weird in the brain, those of us neurodivergent folks, like, people that... I don't know. I just think we're more interesting. Of course, I think we're more interesting because I'm one of those people and neurotypical people probably think they're more interesting and neither one of us is more right than the other. But in any case, I don't want to be disparaging towards anyone. Um, in any case, I'm a weirdo. You're a weirdo. And the fact that we can have this weirdo language together is, is invaluable to me. And thank you so much. You bring meaning to my existence. Um, yeah. I mean, this moment right now, talking to you guys, is like the best moment of my week so far. So thank you for being there. I love you so much. Thank you for putting up with like such an important episode of Buffy and me not really having much to say except talking about my own personal shit. Um, so thank you for listening. You guys are the best. Um, if I don't talk to you before then, have the best possible end of year celebrations, whatever end of year celebrations you personally celebrate. Um, and just, you know, stay safe, take care of yourself. Like this is a stressful time of year for like anyone, like, yeah, it can be incredibly happy and magical, like getting together with your family and maybe it snows and you're listening to Christmas music. If that's your thing, like it can really like take you to a fantasy space, but even that throws off your routine. And if you're a person that like really takes comfort in routine, this is a stressful time of year because everything is shaken up and everything is different. And um, just take care of yourself. Take time out to do something that feels familiar to you if you need to do that. Um, self-care is important. I know like it's just become sort of a cliche when somebody talks about self-care, but seriously, whatever it is that you personally need to do, if you need to go take a bath <laughs> instead of like doing some chore that you need to do, like most chores you could do later. Like you need to be present for yourself and others. You need to be okay. So take whatever time you need to be okay, especially in stressful times of the year like right now. Take care of yourselves, guys. If I don't see you again, happy 2020. Um, I don't know if it'll happen this quickly, but just so you guys know what to expect. <laughs> Not that I really need to warn you guys about this, but since I am probably going to be getting an implant um, it means that my front tooth is going to have to be taken out and I'm going to be wearing like a, like a tooth on a retainer thing for the, probably the better part of 2020, just because there's a lot of steps in the implant procedure that I have to like wait a few months in between for healing and stuff. So if I, it's possible, I mean, I'm going to get this process started as soon as the dentist will let me, you know, so I might be getting the tooth removed soon after Christmas. I don't know. Um, depending on their availability and all that stuff. So it's possible the next time I talk to you, I will have a lisp because I'll be talking through a retainer on the roof of my mouth. So it might be a little challenging to 
for me to talk and for you to completely understand me. I don't know. It might not be that bad. I mean, I got through it the first time. So like just maybe it's not like I won't mention it either. It's not like I'm just going to start lisping and not tell you what's going on. <laughs> I'll tell you what's going on at length, probably more than you want to hear. Thanks guys. You're the best. I will see you in 2020 probably. Bye.